0: You are in for a treat because support for today's episode comes from Jenny Kane. And one of the things that I love the most about Jenny Kane is how seamlessly all of their staples go together. Their iconic styles truly, truly make getting dressed so easy. Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, so think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off. Now, if you love sweaters, Jenny Kane has an unrivaled selection that will become your new obsession. They are known for their super luxe yet lightweight sweaters, and they do cashmere pretty much better than anyone. My Jenny Kane Everyday Sweater is hands down one of my favorite and most versatile sweaters that I own. First off, it is so super soft and cozy, I feel like I am getting a hug every time I wear it. And its wool-cashmere blend makes it a great option from fall through spring. For those cooler summer evenings, Jenny Kane also has a great selection of cotton and linen sweaters. And if that wasn't enough, they also have an incredible rewards program where you can earn up to 10% back with every purchase. Find your new staples at jennykane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, so JennyKane.com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Let getting dressed be one less thing to worry about. I'm a huge fan of preparation and prevention, and one of the most impactful and immediate ways to influence maternal and infant health is through nourishing nutrition. But honestly, when was the last time any of your providers had a meaningful conversation with you about eating habits and prenatal supplements? Prioritizing nutrition can truly change perinatal health for the better, which is why when talking about prenatal supplements, I'm proud to partner with Needed. They've redesigned the prenatal vitamin from the ground up Based on the latest clinical research and in-practice experience of testing thousands of pregnant people's nutrient levels to know what they actually needed, not just to meet some bare minimum needs. And what I always tell my clients is that even though they're called prenatal vitamins, you should continue to take supplements during postpartum and beyond because your body still needs so much nutritional support. I love that at Needed, they understand this and have different plans to make it easy for you to meet your optimal micronutrient, microbiome, and protein needs. They have a fertility support plan, a plan for each of the four trimesters, and a lactation support plan, just to name a few. Needed is recommended by nearly 4,000 doctors, midwives, doulas, and nutritionists and is proud to be the first perinatal nutrition company that's B Corp and climate neutral certified. Head over to thisisneeded.com and use code BIRTHFUL for 20% off your first month of Needed products. That's thisisneeded.com and use the code birthfall for 20% off your first month of needed products. Welcome to The Birthful Podcast, I'm Adriana Losada and today's story is with Tara Langsdorf who is a self-described type A. While pregnant, Tara finished her second master's degree and took a promotion managing a team of 25. She tends to have a plan for everything. So what did she do when her birth didn't go quite according to plan and she found herself in labor and developing preeclampsia? Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, Mighty Parents and Parents-to-be. Thanks again for all the love you constantly give this show. I so, so appreciate it. If you like what you hear, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. And to best support this podcast, support its sponsors. All right, Tara Langsdorf is here to share her birth story and some of her postpartum story as well. And even though things were far from what she had planned during her birth, she managed to show up for what was needed and focus on her process as her husband did an amazing job of advocating for her. And I so appreciate how this story is the perfect example of wh- how when everybody focuses on their thing, then you can navigate situations in a respected manner that can even minimize trauma. So the medical team focused on their medical stuff, making sure that things were closely observed and safe and monitored. And Tara focused on her physiology and going deep into the process and her husband helped Both sides communicate and work together while navigating giving birth in a hospital setting. So I'm so excited for you to hear this story that, as you can see, I'm getting way ahead of myself. Let's back up and welcome Tara to the show. Tara, it is so great to have you here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Oh, so great. And your story, you sent me an outline (laughs) with like three pages worth of outline of what point by point. I loved it. It's fantastic. Um... But there is a lot to your story.
1: Yes. Well, I suppose I could start off at the very beginning when... Um... You know what? Before you do oh, that, tell us just yeah. a little bit about yourself. Oh, sure. So um, my name is Tara, and I'm a mother of a one-year-old boy named Leo. Um, I have a, a big black dog who's about 80 pounds. Um, my husband and I have been dating for over a decade now, um, but been married for... Three years. Um, I live in the Twin Cities in Minnesota and I enjoy kickball, camping, Zumba. Um, my new favorite thing is snuggling with Leo on the weekend. Um, I'm definitely a type A person. I like to research and plan for everything. <laughs> including pregnancy. Um, and so for the most part, my pregnancy went according to my plan until maybe about 36 weeks, when things started to change a little bit.
0: Mm-hmm. And we will definitely get to that. But first, tell us like where your mind was at. So you planned so much. What, how did you plan <laughs> <laughs> before you were even pregnant?
1: I see you were planning. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. So I've been probably what we call baby crazy since I got married, and I promised my husband we would wait at least a year before we started trying, and so that and the financial impact of having a kiddo, um, child care is so expensive right now, so we wanted to make sure we were financially able to afford daycare and all of that, and I kind of, late spring, early summer is my favorite time of year, so I always thought it would be kind of cool to have a baby around that time, and so May, about, well, I guess two years ago, we um, decided I'd go off birth control and, you know, kind of figure out my cycles, because I hadn't had a cycle probably since I was 18, so that was... 14 years ago. Mm. Um, <laughs> so I wanted to figure out my cycle and then hope to get pregnant in about August so that I could have a May baby. <laughs> and I know that's all really wishful thinking because you don't get to choose when you get pregnant. I, I'm well aware of that, but we figured that would be kind of a good timeline. Did it happen? yeah there you go <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean I was I got all the apps I got ovulation predictor kit like that you pee on ov- every morning I got it all um, and so yeah it's so somehow
0: worked out <laughs> awesome so what then when you're pregnant what things where was your mind in terms of Giving birth and what your wishes were,
1: and what were you expecting or wanting to have? Sure. So let me tell you like since like the day I had gone off birth control, I started listening to your podcast, and I think I listened to every single episode within like three months. Um, and it 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 helped me um, kind of figure out what I did want. Um, and I and I pretty quickly realized I wanted a low intervention birth. I thought. A water birth would be really an awesome experience. Um, yeah, I I decided I really wanted to go with a midwife group as opposed to uh, an OB, and um, so I kind of embarked tw- on that path. Okay, cool. And I did see you also read Ina May. I did. Yes. Um, uh, one of my my husband's cousins gave me a book. On Ina and so reading that, it helped me not have that fear about giving birth and trying to give birth unmedicated. Mm-hmm. Um, it yeah, it was very empowering to hear those stories and and read them. Yeah, they're
0: lovely. So I would really appreciate that. That book is half education, half stories.
1: So yeah, nice. and I think I only ended up reading the stories. There's so many of them. Uh, so I don't think I actually got to the second part, but I probably will uh, whenever we decide on. The second time <laughs> around, two. yeah. Yes. Cool. So, in terms of during pregnancy, were there any surprises? Um so we when I got pregnant initially, we went and saw a midwife and we kind of weren't figured out sure about the the date of conception so they sent us for a dating ultrasound and during that um, first real ultrasound the the text said something along the lines of oh it looks like you have a bicornuate uterus um that just means it's got this cute little heart shape and you know me and my husband were like oh that sounds cute okay and then I swear that night I went home and somehow in like my Facebook news feed, something came up and somebody was talking about having that condition and ha- having a miscarriage or stillbirth or something along those lines. And I immediately started freaking out, doing the worst thing possible, which is Googling. And my heart just sunk because there's a much higher chance of of stillbirth, of fetal growth restrictions with it um and so that very next morning the first thing I was on the phone with the doctor and they said yeah you know we we saw what came through we're gonna send you to maternal fetal medicine for a a second level ultrasound Mm -hmm. and that day I was just I think it's the only time during my pregnancy I cried I was I had to leave work I was so upset because I was like if something were to happen this is me it's not just this one pregnancy this could be if if I have a um, misshapen uterus that's never going to change you know no matter how many times I get pregnant yeah so I got and, really scared
0: and I can see how that is you know definitely scary if you don't know this right it's not like you know you look I, at I your even, nose every day and go like oh yeah right. my nose is you know this I didn't even shame. know it was a possibility. Frankly, I didn't even know it was a possibility well into my doula years. It's not that common. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know if you have an episode on that. but <laughs> I don't, but I'm going to link some resources so that Perfect. people, if they want to
1: take a look, they can. So, um, and what happened next? So, I did go and get a second level ultrasound and the doctor there basically said he didn't think it was bicornuate he just thought it was arcuate which is less severe and he said really there was no way to test while I was pregnant if I wanted to after pregnancy I could come in and they would do some additional tests where um, they'd do some contrast and and look but um, it ultimately after I gave birth they basically said you had no issues that would be related to your uterine shape, so we don't even recommend doing that extra ultrasound because you had a normal birth. And what a relief! Not in the oh, moment, yes. but yeah, afterwards. <laughs> yes. yes, and uh, unfortunately, I had some uh, negativity from friends and family when I was going through all this freak out because, as I said, I was hoping for a pretty natural birth, and and there were I had some people really like. Kind of going off the deep end, encouraging me to, to get every intervention in the book. At that point, Um, so,
0: but how did you deal with that? Because that's I know that I have an episode on dealing with friends and family because it's tough. When you're pregnant, everybody has an opinion.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, and I think it comes down to people just. They, they have the best intentions for you. They want you to be the safest. They want the baby to be the safest. But I had people telling me, I need to go to the hospital with the best NICU in the cities, that I should be seeing a maternal fetal medicine doctor, not a midwife. I mean, yeah. They, mm. <laughs> unfortunately, and and that was really hard. Um, you know, I had a friend say, you know, no water birth, no uh, midwife, no the hospital I was choosing. um all of that, and so, and I kind of eventually just had to shut it out, and, and my husband was really encouraging, and just like, you know, why don't we trust our doctors to tell us what we need to, and that maternal fetal medicine doctor was like, I'm fine with you staying with the midwife uh, program at the hospital, and so we just proceeded, and honestly, I forgot about that period of my pregnancy until we started talking about this podcast, I totally forgot, <laughs> so. Hmm. And, uh, you know,
0: that was that sounds like a really good approach of let's go with what our care providers say who actually right. know, have experience and degrees and um, evidence information, right?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Uh,
0: so then was there anything else during pregnancy
1: that we should mention? Um, in regards to, like... Issues. Um, I guess it's really common. But um, at the 20-week ultrasound, I had a low-lying placenta, which is actually they said really common, um, and they weren't really concerned at all. It just meant I had to get a second ultrasound later on. And basically, a lot of times it moves up on its own just because the baby's growing. The placenta just naturally moves. If it hadn't, that would have obviously been a, a big concern for a placenta previa, but. Um, but that went away.
0: Yeah, yeah. And it is one of those things that is, I'm glad you mentioned it because that is, it is common, but it doesn't come up that that often. And usually it does resolve by itself. And as the uterus and baby grows and everything gets bigger, it gets pulled up. Um, but if it doesn't and stays like pretty much blocking the outlet or really yes. close to the cervix, then then that can be something to... Explore a cesarean because it's going to, yeah, the, it can it can create problems. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'm glad but, it moved out of the way.
1: Yeah. So other than that, I was low risk. Um, I was part of what's called a centering group through the midwives. And basically, it's a little bit different than going to a normal OB or midwife appointment. Um, what they do is they combine a group of up to 10 different couples who are due within the same month. And rather than having your individual 15-minute appointments, they kind of combine the group. And so you go into, and it's held like just in a conference room at the hospital, and you do your own weight and blood pressure, and then you spend maybe a quick five minutes with the midwife or the nurse, and they take the funnel measurement, heartbeat, maybe do a, a low-tech ultrasound. But then the rest of the time is spent discussing symptoms, doing education, having visitors visit the group. And it's all held during what would your normal interval for having your checkups. So it was a really cool experience to be a part of this group of other first time parents who were just kind of going through it all so we could all kind of relate to each other and talk about what we were going through and share tips and experiences. Yeah. And centering
0: groups can be really cool in that you get a longer. So that makes your your appointment becomes much longer, much more education based. Yeah. Um,
1: how long were your appointments? So they ran from like five thirty till seven in the evening, which is really nice, too, because it was after work. So you weren't missing work. And um, yeah, it was so like an hour and a half. Mm, and it kind
0: of starts building in your village since all of it you does. guys are due at the same time. <laughs> it
1: does. I remember my husband running into some of the other parents at the hospital because obviously we were, you know, giving birth around the same time. So that was kind of a cool uh, experience.
0: Yeah. We have our member Wifery group also has a centering uh, practice here. And it Love is, it. yeah, it's it's so Enriching,
1: yeah, absolutely. My husband jokes that we would have never had to go to our birth prep classes because so much of it was taken care of just during that group,
0: right? Yeah, yeah. Did you feel it was empowering that you got to do like your own measurements and your own weight and your own like deal with your urine
1: samples, all of that? Like, (laughs) oh, yeah, I even did my own um GBS test, my group B structure, yeah, yeah, (laughs) yeah. I mean. It was cool because it, it, instead of it just all happening to you, you were involved in it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out for Centering Care. I'm going to put
0: links to that in the show notes too. <laughs>
1: awesome.
0: So, um, you know what? This is a perfect time for us to take a break before we get into the meat of things because I, I know what's coming because I have your notes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We'll be right back. Did you know that Americans spend an average of 90% of their time indoors and take about 20,000 breaths per day? That is so many breaths. Now, according to the EPA, the indoor air that we breathe is two to five times more polluted than outdoor air, and in some cases, up to a 100 times more polluted. So then what is the solution for cleaner indoor air? For me, it's Air Doctor and their line of superb air purifiers that have captured the attention of established media outlets such as CNN, Money, ABC, and many more. Air Doctor filters out 99.99% of dangerous contaminants so that your lungs don't have to. This includes all kinds of pollutants, such as allergens, pollen, pet dander, dust mites, mold spores, and even bacteria and viruses that can make you sick. Plus, Air Doctor comes with a 30-day Breathe Easy money-back guarantee, so if you don't love it, just send it back for a refund minus shipping. Head to airdoctorpro.com and use promo code BIRTHFALL to receive up to $300 off air purifiers. And exclusive to podcast listeners, you will also receive a free three-year warranty on any unit, which is an additional $84 value. Lock in this special offer by going to A I R D O C T O R P R O. .com so airdoctorpro.com and use the promo code birthful. And we're back talking with Tara Langsdorf on her about her her pregnancy and birth story. So you're getting
1: close to the end. What happened next? Yeah. So um tw- so let's see. I mean up until that point most things had been going great. I was exercising. I was getting prenatal massages every three weeks, getting chiropractic care. Um, we started our childbirth education classes with our doula, um, which was really awesome. It was 10 weeks of classes. Um, there were two and a half hours each week. and
0: That's um, a long
1: class. <laughs> they were, but she was super thorough, Um And, I mean, we went over spinning babies, pain management techniques. We did a birth rehearsal where um, we, you know, the women would practice breathing techniques and being in labor and our partners having to respond, Um, talked about breastfeeding. Every class we watched one of the birth videos from one of her previous clients, um, obviously with their permission. Um, And one of my favorite activities that we did was around birth plan and birth goals and um, she obviously had us make up our our birth plan or or what we wanted our birth goals to be but then one of the exercises she had us do she had these cutouts of all these different cards with different um, things that could happen yeah choices during birth so it could be you know I want to vaginal birth. I want a C-section. I want immediate skin to skin. I want delayed cord clamping or, um, I want, who do I want to be present? And so she had you pick out all the cards that you wanted. And then she asked you to remove about five of them from that list and said, you know, if there's five, you couldn't get to happen, which five would you remove? And she kept doing that until we had maybe only five cards left. And it it was at that time a good practice and, and really focusing on what is the most important, what do you value most about your birth.
0: Mm-hmm. So that'll come into play later. Okay. I So I am acutely aware with that card game because I do that with my clients too. I find it's a great, yeah, it's a great tool for, because you don't know what's going to happen in birth. Right. So it starts forcing some flexibility into your plan for sure
1: right and it's a good person thing for a person like me who likes things to kind of go according to my plan so um yeah it was it was good to kind of and and two um I'm really glad for it because it really gave my partner my husband insight into what were the highest priorities for me and for us as a couple Mm -hmm. so we had some really good conversations come out of that very cool
0: so then what happened (laughs) that's the question I just so then what's happened
1: so then um the first kind of um change which isn't even necessarily related to what ended up happening to me but around 32 weeks I had a baby shower and I was wearing a dress and I remember my mom being like Tara your ankles are really swollen and I kind of blew up Brushed it off, and then within that week, I would look down and I was like, "Yeah, they are really swollen." And from that point forward, I had to buy bigger shoes. I mean, it it didn't look like I had ankles anymore. Um, it they they really um, started to show, which I know is a common part of pregnancy, but um, yeah, that was probably the first. I want to say gripe I had about pregnancy because I loved pregnancy. Um, I might be one of the weird ones, but I I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I didn't ever have morning sickness. Um, I was really fortunate up to that point. So then at 36 weeks, I had um, one of our scheduled centering courses. And I kind of went in already nervous that my blood pressure was going to be a little high because it had kind of started creeping up in the previous cl- classes we'd had. And my husband's like, well, the more you freak out that it's going to be high, the worse it's going to be. Right. Um, and ultimately that night, um, we ended up having to have the nurse of the group take me back into one of the exam rooms and use um, one of the, the exam room nursing cuffs because the ones they used at the centering group were just kind of those ones you can kind of transport and just um, maybe not the highest quality. Mm -hmm. So if I sat really still and used the bigger cuff, uh, it would fall kind of below the threshold for being of concern. So so it was all right. Um, And I had actually thought about brushing off my 37-week appointment um, because up until that point, I was feeling great. Everything was going great. I was like, I don't need an extra appointment. Um, although after listening to any of your previous podcasts on preeclampsia, I'm now like, no, never brush it off. That's the reason I have them. <laughs> so right. it's that peace of mind. Right. Yeah. And, and that's when exactly when things can start to go wrong. So I did have my 37 week appointments. And again, there were some issues with my blood pressure and um, it took me sitting again, really still and calmly having that bigger blood pressure cuff. Um, And so they said, you know, over the weekend, we really want you to decrease your activity. Like not even, don't even walk the dog Um, as much as you can be kind of sitting with your feet up, please do that. And then they did um, a urine test for protein at that point for protein in my urine, um, that test came back pretty normal. There was, wasn't any issues with that. Um, but they wanted me to come back. So that was on a Friday. They wanted me to come back on the next, that Monday, um, for another test where they would do a biophysical, a non-stress test, and then um, do some more labs. Mm-hmm.
0: And they were just really, really focusing on Making sure you're not weren't developing preeclampsia or anything exactly. like that. Exactly.
1: Yeah. Exactly. So after that weekend, I went in for my next appointment, and due to me really taking it easy, thanks, husband, um, I had lost five pounds over the weekend just from the water weight, um, from from my uh, high blood pressure and um, being off my feet. Hmm. So at that point we kind of discussed, well, maybe it would be best for me to work from home. And my boss was on board with that. And so I think that helped because then I could have my feet up. I'm doing less walking, that sort of thing. And, and my boss was totally on board with, you know, whatever, whatever baby needed. Um, my biophysical test came back normal. The non-stress test came back just fine. So at that point there were, um, no concerns my platelets were dropping a little bit um historically they'd been around 290 at that appointment they were down to about 140 but i think at that point they were still at normal range okay
0: and so how yeah how did things continue with that did they did it even out did all that staying home help
1: so i mean i had my i had my 38 week appointment and it was kind of the same story. Um, my blood pressure continued to be high. They actually took me, we were right next to the labor and delivery department. So they took me to triage, had me laid down to take my blood pressure. And it was it was like right at the borderline of, of being um, over again. So they scheduled me again for a Monday uh, non-stress test and blood draw to keep checking me because they were doing a really good job of moder- monitoring me. They wanted to make sure I didn't end up with preeclampsia or if I did that, they could immediately start taking action. Mm-hmm. So then that, so that had been a Thursday. So on Sunday I ended up doing more activity than I probably should have. And I ended up doing a impromptu maternity photo shoot. I'd been debating throughout my pregnancy, whether I was going to do one and I just never got around to it. And then I had a coworker post online that she had an opening for a mommy and me session she did freelance photography on the side and I was like, Hey, is it okay if the baby is still inside? (laughs) And she said, yeah. And um, I was like, I don't have one of those awesome pretty dresses. And she's like, don't worry. I'll make one for you. You just tell me the color you want. What? And I was like, what? And I mean, it was for the very next day. It was Saturday. So she's like, yeah. And so it turned out if you, I I know I sent you my pictures. She actually was just a long, swath of fabric and ribbon and she that's just tied to me that's not sewn there's no sleeves nothing that's just fabric like oh, and yeah i'll link them to
0: the show notes of course <laughs> i'll post them it, the pictures are gorgeous people like yeah. amazingly
1: gorgeous she is the most amazing photographer oh she's awesome um but yeah so she did those pictures sunday evening uh, right around sunset and they're phenomenal oh. They're awesome. So but my the funniest part about the story is that night at midnight is when my water broke. And the funny story about that is so it was about midnight and I woke up and coughed and there was liquid. And you know, I immediately jumped out of bed. It wasn't even enough to get on the bed. But I'm like, oh great. Am I incontinent now? Like, what is going on? And so I I run to the bathroom, then I go to the closet and get you know, one of those lovely overnight pads. And my husband was still downstairs awake watching television, and he's like, he called upstairs, and he's like, is everything okay up there? And I'm like, yep, everything's just fine. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um So you didn't tell him right away? You're well, like I thought I had peed. Okay, okay. <laughs> so I was like, I don't want to tell him I'm incontinent now. This is embarrassing, right? Yeah. Right. Okay. So I laid a towel down and went back to sleep. Then uh at like two thirty I woke up and I had to pee again and there was more of that, you know like what I thought was a little bit of loss of bladder and and then I was starting to feel like just occasional cramps and I was like I'm not comfortable. I'm not able to fall asleep. I'm going to go downstairs and sit on the couch and watch television. And so I think I kind of dozed in and out, just barely stayed up watching crummy TV. Then around six, I was like, well, I might as well start working if I'm going to be up anyways. So I started working and then, and then I called the midwife. I was like, and this happened to be the midwife I had been working with ongoing um her name was carrie and she's like well you know you have an appointment already today to do a non-stress test when you come in we can just test the liquid and find out if it is amniotic fluid so And said, how, okay. how far along were you at this point um i was 38 weeks and six days okay so um i didn't wake up my husband until um you know he had woke up on his own and um, I was like, hey, hun. by the way, this is going on. Um, they're going to test and see if it's amniotic fluid. But by this time, because my um, non-stress test was around 845 in the morning. And so um, I was like, should we bring a bag with if we're going? Because the, the clinic is at the hospital as well. Mm. He's like, nah, don't worry about it. We're, we're fine. Famous last so, words. <laughs> right. So um, we go for the non-stress test. And it takes a little bit longer than normal for him to do, to kind of be as active as I wanted him to be during the test. And then we finally go see the, the midwife. And she takes longer than uh, she had planned on. Because they, they have you kind of lay back for like 10 minutes for that liquid to pool. And then kind of run us liquid over a strip and see if it reacts and sure enough the midwife was like yep that's amniotic fluid um and it's probably a good thing anyways because your blood pressures are so high i would probably want you induced today anyways Mm. so we're like at that point i i was pretty sure it had been my water because i was starting to think but they were probably contractions because they were coming at somewhat re- regular intervals. So we're like, hey, can we go home and pack a bag? And she's like, sure. i will be back in an hour. Well, if we weren't back in an hour. Um, I went home. Um, I ended up working a little bit. Well, Now, off- come on. <laughs> finish <laughs> off emails. There's a lovely picture. <laughs> I didn't know my husband was taking of me, like, with my little laptop at the couch working away. Oh. And we kind of wanted to delay going to the hospital till we needed to. Um, You know, and our, our doula had always talked to us about, you know, don't go too early. You're just setting yourself up for interventions and you'll be more comfortable at home, all that good stuff. But there was construction on the major freeway leading to our hospital. So... We're like, we don't want to get caught in traffic because that would be the worst to, to be in labor during rush hour. So um, contractions were getting closer together around three, so we decided to go to the hospital then because otherwise we felt like we probably wouldn't be able to leave till like seven. So our doula met us there and I think I didn't get checked until about 6.30 that evening. And at that time I was dilated to a three 80% effaced negative one station. So they talked to us about, did we want to try and augment labor with side attack or Ptosin? And we said, we kind of wanted to just let it kind of happen naturally. And they said, okay, but just remember that risk of infection kind of goes up at 24 hours after your water breaks. Um, and that I'd risk out of water birth at twenty four hours, so we acknowledged that, um, and uh, we we didn't. I never ended up typing up my birth plan. So we had this whiteboard in a room that we ended up writing like the different things we wanted on the little whiteboard in the room. That's fantastic. Um, um, we're going to take a break.
0: Okay, <laughs> we'll be right back. Hey, Mighty One, as you approach the journey into birth and parenthood, now is the perfect time to make your home a serene and nurturing haven with the help of Home Threads. At Home Threads, you'll discover furniture designed for comfort and functionality from cozy nursing chairs to versatile baby friendly storage, as well as a super wide array of options to spruce up any room in your house. Home threads can help make your home the perfect nest for your growing family and at a great value. I so appreciate that wide range of styles that you can find at Home Threads. For example, I was ecstatic when I found a pair of truly stunning mid century curved walnut dining chairs that somehow perfectly match my home office chair. I mean, what are the chances? These chairs are not only gorgeous in their light green upholstery, but also super sturdy and just so comfortable. I simply adore them. Explore the amazing finds HomeThreads has waiting for you. Go to HomeThreads.com and get a code for 15% off your first order. Do make sure to go to our unique URL of home com slash birthful to get your discount. Home threads, love where you live. And we are back talking with Tara. And so you guys made it to the hospital. They check you. You are three eighty percent face, <laughs> minus one
1: station. Right. Um it's not that great a progress, I'll be honest. But at that point hey. I hadn't been working that hard. <laughs> Well, and that's, you know,
0: for early labor, you haven't been checked before. You ha- It hasn't been going on for so long. And you were saying that, does how how were the sensations at that point? Were it just still
1: kind of crampy or were they requiring your attention and making you They were you stop? starting to require my attention. I remember when the midwife got there, we had been talking real briefly and then all of a sudden I kind of had to put up my hand and stop her and at that point, she kind of looks at at the doula and my husband and was like, oh, has this been going on for a little while? And they're like, yeah. And so I think at that point, she's like, oh, okay. So she is having legitimate contractions. Yeah. I think that's maybe why they were suggesting Pitocin or attack is because they were concerned about the progress I'd made thus far and whether or not I was having good productive contractions. Mm-hmm. So you,
0: you were putting yeah, well, all your stuff on the whiteboard.
1: Yes. <laughs> your birth yes. goals. And then at one point we, we called to the nurse's station and nobody was showing up. Nobody was showing up. So finally my, my husband walked out there and was like, um, we've been calling the nursing station. Well, they figured out that the the buttons on my bed weren't working to call the nursing staff. And so what's funny is my during the, the birth education classes with my doula, she'd done this birth rehearsal. And so some of the things she would do for these couples is she'd walk into the room and pretend something. And, um, and the husband would have to kind of redirect whoever was, was entering in the room and, and make sure that the, the wife's needs were being taken care of and that you know, people were respecting her and her little space. And so the funniest thing was, is during some of my contractions, I had two maintenance guys working over my head, trying to figure out the connections to the bed. And I'm going through contractions and they're just shooting the breeze, talking over me. And my doula could not help but laugh at that and was like, I guess I'm going to have to add that to my uh, birth rehearsal of, of potential interruptions during a birth. Anything can happen. It really can. Did it did it mess you up or were you able to stay in focus even though they I were did, I didn't care at that yeah. point. And and truly, you know, at that point, well I, you know, was working through contractions, they weren't as bad as they had were going to get. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, during that time I was doing um, lots of different positions and we walked the halls, um, I really enjoyed being in the bathroom over the toilet um, for some of the contractions with my husband there. Finally, I think around like eight o'clock, I decided I wanted to do for them to fill the the tub because there was this beautiful um, water birth tub in the room that I was in. Um, That's kind of just like in the middle of the the room. And um, so they filled that and... Um, it was actually so deep, my husband had, like, hold my shoulders in order for me to not, like, float away mm-hmm. <laughs> into this big, deep tub. Um, and then, then they had me get out of the tub so they could do um, another blood test and check my blood pressure. And about 9.30, my platelets were getting low. So um, they were about 102. And so that's when they gave me the diagnosis of preeclampsia. So at that point, they wanted continuous fetal monitoring. And they really pushed for, at that point, they wanted me to have an epidural. um, But we asked for any alternative um, options. And we ultimately decided to go with nitrous. And um, their hope was that by using something to to help manage the the pain that my blood pressure would not continue to rise. So, at that point, it was like, obviously, the medical needs outweighed the, the desire for a medication-free birth. So, we decided to try nitrous. And, I'll be honest, at this point... My memory of what happened for probably the next almost 12 hours is very sparse. I don't know if it's related to how I was coping with the pain or if it was effects from the nitrous, but uh, I have very few memories, personally, of the time from about 10 p.m. until maybe 10 a.m. hmm um, so I don't know if that's a common thing amongst people who have nitrous or if it's just
0: me. And it can, some people also have blurs in terms of when they get deep into transition and all that. it's hard, you know, you're so in it that it's hard to know what's going on and, you know, coupled with the nitrous,
1: who knows? Sure. So I, oh, and an interesting about, thing about nitrous, so you have to have it on your face when you're inhaling and when you're exhaling because if you exhale into the room the people in the room will also be impacted by nitrous and I had a nurse who was allergic to nitrous so that's I'd be no really... pressure at all right, right. yeah <laughs> right. so I had to have that thing attached to my face and you have to breathe really deeply to like suck the nitrous in because it's kind of a passive system and I kind of I quickly became a little bit dependent on it um, because I had to have that. I felt like I had to have the mask attached to my face so I didn't impact anybody in the room. And then nitrous is kind of only affects you while you're breathing it. So if you take it away, you might feel that next contraction. And so I just, it got to the point where my doula and my nurse and husband were like, you know you need to take some breaks from it because um, because I was using it so heavily. Um, they started IV fluids around eleven thirty and then they started discussing um, taking magnesium sulfate to help with um, my preeclampsia. And it's used to prevent seizures, but the side effects can be sleepiness dizziness, nausea, blurred vision, and it can slow labor by decreasing contractions. So... Um, Did you get it? I, well, I didn't. I honestly don't know that I answered. I praised my husband. He, you know, asked, you know, could we delay this? Is, there any, is it necessary right now? Because he, he was a perfect adv- advocate for me for this whole thing. Um, and they said, you know, it's not necessary right now if her labs come start falling again her blood pressure increases we're going to recommend it um, and we're definitely recommending it after she delivers so we were able to to not do that and I'm I'm grateful for that Um, at that time that he asked them to stall it and, and that they were kind of agreeable that It wasn't absolutely necessary at that point. Um, Then around two in the morning, so this is a day and two hours after my water had broken, um, I ended up getting transferred to the OB team at the hospital. Um, Our midwife team and OB team work really closely together. and At that point, I had been diagnosed with HELP syndrome, Mm -hmm. um, which is a severe form of preeclampsia. And, um, so they, they checked me and I was. Sorry,
0: did that diagnosis change anything in terms of their, the, the care, what they were suggesting to, to proceed with?
1: No, it kind of stayed in line. Um, they, they discussed magnesium sulfate again and agreed to check my labs in about two hours to see where things were at. Um they checked me, I was dilated to a five, percent effacement, station zero. Um, and then they talked about having an epidural placed. And they, and you know, we were like, no, we want to avoid an epidural. And they basically, I remember they actually called the anesthesiologist over and this part, I do remember clearly this very kind man's face telling me that they needed to, they didn't have to give me the epidural medication, but they at least needed to place it because if they could not place the line for the epidural then and my platelets fell below 100, that I could no longer get an epidural. And then if um, I ended up needing a C-section that... I'd have to be put under general anesthesia. And my husband was like, yeah, I know she'd want to be alert if she had one. So he was in support of one and and they ultimately needed me to to consent to it. And I did. And then right before they were about to place it, they asked me again. They're like, okay, so we're going to place this epidural line. And I'd already forgotten the previous conversation. I was like, no, I don't want an epidural. They had to have the conversation Uh. a second time with me. But they didn't start running any medication through it. Um, They just placed it. And honestly, I I don't remember it being placed. Like, I don't remember pain of it being placed or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Um, So, obviously, the guy was pretty good. Um, So, had that line placed around 2 a.m. Then at around 6.15 in the morning... I was dilated to a seven, and somehow I became less effaced. I don't know how that happens. <laughs> probably different people checking me,
0: and that's uh-huh. such a huge point to make that if there's this all these numbers that we go by, there's no specific ruler to measure. It's depending on whoever's whoever's hands there and their idea of what something is, right?
1: right. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, so I continued to decline any augmentation at that point and magnesium sulfate Um, and then around 10am I was dilated to an 8 having contractions every 2-7 to minutes and the OB at that point was recommending an epidural bolus and pitocin Um, she wasn't exactly happy with the progress I was making and She wanted to start the epidural just because of my exhaustion. At that point, I'd been up for well over 24 hours um, without any sleep. Um, And so at that point, I finally kind of gave in and said, okay, let's start an epidural. Let's not do pitocin yet at this point. um, And let's try and get me a little bit of a nap to, to try and rest up to hopefully continue powering through labor. So I got about an hour nap, but unfortunately during that nap, I only had like a handful of contractions. Um, and they, so my labor had essentially stopped at that point. And so by 11, I decided if, if I'm going to continue this, I need to agree to to Pitocin. So they started Pitocin and I immediately (laughs) threw up, um, and then, but we started on the lowest dose possible. Um, and then, as time progressed, I, I kept saying, okay, you can increase it, you can increase it, um, to try and get my contractions back up to, to where they needed to be, mm-hmm. so that my labor could be productive.
0: Um, yeah, and pit is also, like... I mean nitrous is very short half-life so while you're breathing it it goes like if you don't breathe it it goes away very quick pit is similar not as fast but similar in the sense that it can leave your system very quickly so and upping it or bringing it down can be done very very quickly so I didn't know that. yeah yeah so that is it's extremely uh, adjustable okay. and okay so that's why they started they can start it super low and then it, there's a maximum of amount of medicine you can have in a certain amount of time so if they're increasing it by like one unit or two units um every 30 to 45 minutes they can only get up to a certain you know like 30 units or 40 units depends on depends on the ratio depends on the hospital depends on how much you've gotten but there's a little but they unless and they want to have transition like contraction pattern which is contractions every two to three minutes hopefully lasting a minute or more so they'll keep upping it until you get to that hopefully and then once you get to that they can't and and if your body's responding they can't up it more because they don't want to be hypertonic like too many contractions and, and and affect the baby in stress so it's like it's a little bit of a tight rope but not but but it reacts so quickly back and forth that Um, But I'm glad that they were very much involving you in the care. And it seems throughout this whole experience of a collaborative
1: process. It really was. And I think that's why around 2 p.m. They wanted to put in like an internal contraction monitoring. Because before they just had the external fetal monitor. But they wanted to put in a monitor that would kind of go... In alongside the baby and monitor those contractions so they could tailor the Pitocin to get me to those contractions that you were talking about, like that's that perfect labor sort of yeah, transition pattern, um, yeah, or or or,
0: te- or active labor pattern. And, um, the intrauterine, you know, catheter, it's inter- that's another thing that not many people know that the so if they're monitoring your belly. You have two monitors externally, right? One's for baby's heartbeat and the other one's for your contractions. Um, But that one just picks up contractions. It does not measure intensity at all. Ah. And it's why you might see it in a graph and it might be like little low, little low, little low. And then you move and then they get higher. It's not necessarily that it correlates to the intensity of what you're feeling. It's just how it's picking up the change of tightness in your vet belly and muscles versus not being tight. Okay. So the intrauterine pressure catheter, they call it IU- IUPC, um, which is what you're describing, goes in between sort of baby's head and the uterine wall, and they can really measure force of how tight that uterus is squeezing with the contractions.
1: Oh, okay.
0: All these fancy things, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So at that point, the doctor said that they'd give me about two hours of adequate labor, and if there wasn't a change, they were going to strongly recommend a C-section. Now my Tula happened to count that day and they suggested and or recommended a C-section eight times to me that day. Um, which feels like a lot to, to me. Um, it, it does. and also, to me,
0: it speaks to the back to that collaborative care that you were having. Because they were recommending it and strongly recommend it and whatever, but they weren't like, no, this is what we need to do. Right. There were still... And and considering that you were diagnosed with help, like that to me, even though they said it eight times, seems very patient-centered maternity care. Right. Because I've been in instances where without a help diagnosis, it's been like, we've gotten to the point, this is what we need to do. There's not really of giving you a choice or, or, or sure. a say in that opinion.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, honestly, most of the time, my husband did most of the talking when it came to decision making and everything he did was exactly what I would have wanted. Um, so he, he was an amazing advocate. Um, and my doula as well. Go husband, um, yes, yes, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's funny because this would not have been his choice in, in birth. He 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 prefers high intervention. <laughs> um, he's like, if lasers could take out a baby when I was pregnant, I'd choose lasers. So that's <laughs> that's him. Um, but he he knew what I wanted and was like, this you know you get to choose because it's your body. So he was awesome. Mm. So finally, so we didn't see the OB that much throughout the day. The um, maternity ward was completely full. It had been a full moon, and overnight there had been a storm. So there were lots of people in labor, and we kept asking for the OB to come because I was, by like 4 or 5 o'clock, I was starting to feel really low blood sugar. I hadn't eaten since lunchtime the day before um and like you know that shaky feeling when you're like I haven't eaten in a while I need to eat something Mm -hmm. um I was getting that and just feeling kind of nauseous from from not eating and so finally around six o'clock the OB showed up and there was this standoff that happened between my husband Ian and with our doula and the OB over whether or not I could eat and they were you know doing their best to advocate for me Uh, at one point my doula started quoting you know something from you know that laboring women should be allowed to eat and the OB got quite mad at her and was like you are not here for medical uh advice you are here just to support so do that um and I later found out that they were considering kicking my doula out of the hospital. At that point, she was she was trying her best to uh, to support me. So they had been going back and forth for a while, and finally the OB looks at me and is like, "What do you want?" And, and the reason they had been keeping me from having food at that point was because if I ended up with a C-section, um, they didn't want a risk of of me throwing up or choking or something like that
0: mm, it's a risk of aspiration
1: yes um yes, so it's
0: it is a very small risk but if it happens it's a very nasty situation and it's like if so it goes if you eat and you then need an emergency cesarean and they can't get and then you have to be put under and you already had a catheter so that minimizes that but if they have to you but you under full anesthesia and then you throw up there's a chance that you will aspirate your contents of what you're throwing up and then that can certainly lead to nasty things but the risk when i've talked to uh, rebecca decker about the uh, evidence on that um and i'll link to the posca- podcast it's actually you have a higher risk of getting struck by a by lightning than <laughs> Aspirating, especially now that epidurals are, uh, you know, before when c- for cesareans you would need to knock everybody out because then sure. anesthesia hadn't come, so you know hadn't advanced so much, um, the risk was higher. But that's why I'm saying you already had the catheter, to you most likely wouldn't need to be put under. Um, but it is a risk assessment anyway. But that sure. but that's where it comes from. It's the risk of aspiration
1: that makes sense. Yeah. My husband was like, you know, I'm sure you guys perform hundreds of emergency cesarean sections where people have eaten because that's the point of an emergency is you didn't plan on it. Um, and so they kept going back and forth and finally the OB looks at me and I was like, cause I just kind of was watching the tennis match from the bed. And, um, she looks at me and she's like, well, what do you think? And I was like, I feel like you're creating a self-fulfilling prophecy if I don't eat anything, I'm not going to have the strength to continue to labor and to push out a baby. Um, and so I will need a C-section at that point. But if I can can get something to eat, I can get a little strength, I can keep doing this. Um, and so finally she's like, well, let me check you again. And I, I um, just before she'd walked in, I had said I started feeling rectal pressure like I had to poop and um sure enough at that point I was 10 centimeters yay <laughs> so <laughs> she's like she looked at me and she's like well I guess we kind of wasted our time with that argument <laughs> um and she's like you can have a little bit to eat um not not tons which I didn't know. I wasn't hungry for tons I think I ate half a cracker um a spoonful or two of applesauce and some apple juice. And that's all I needed. Um, But she's like, you know, we can start getting ready for you to push. And um, so by this point, it's about seven o'clock. And in walks the midwife I'd been working with throughout my whole pregnancy. And she gave like the most amazing pep talk um, she was telling me that she'd been kind of monitoring my chart for the past two days and kinda of watching everything I had been through and just I'm getting emotional just talking about it, but um like how powerful I was and how strong I was and how great I was gonna do. Um, and it was it was amazing. I mean, she came in on her own time. She's like, I just dropped off my kid at dance class, and I wanted to stop in and give you some encouragement. So she is an amazing woman. And what uh, good timing. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it really couldn't have been better because it was just before I started pushing. Um, and another thing I had was at each of my baby showers, I had the women, my friends and family, and – outside my father, write, um, little affirmations down on post-it notes for my husband and doula to read me, um, to help kind of motivate me and push me through. So, um, they read those too during my labor and, um, oh, I and during love the pushing that. phase. Yeah, it was, it was really cool to just have all that woman strength and and for my dad too. um, and
0: that supportive family, like you don't feel alone if you've got all right. these people, right?
1: Just a reminder of those wishes. That's so sweet. Yeah. So that was really awesome. And I'm I'm saving them because I'll use them for the next one, too. <laughs> um, but so I was lucky in that, you know, because I had the epidural, but I was still had really good control of my lower body. I was able to get into hands and knees. I was able to turn myself. Um I really enjoyed being on hands and knees. I felt like that was a really good position for me. Um, but unfortunately after a while they were having a trouble keeping the monitors in place and getting good readings, so they kind of ended up telling me I, I, I need to switch to my back. Um, and so I, I did so I ended up doing for the bulk of my pushing stage, had this bar that goes over the bed and I, you know, put braced my feet on either end and then they'd wrap a A towel around and I'd pull the towel in and so I ended up doing most of my pushing in that position and I remember thinking at one point because I had the you know most encouraging push nurse and my doula and my husband's and um they were great cheerleaders and I remember them you know after a good push they'd be like you know that was so great you made great progress and after an hour, I was like, they could be telling me anything. I could, you know, I could be making no progress and I would never know. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea if I'm actually, am making progress. They might just be, be nice to. Oh, were you feeling at that point, like, what the heck is going on? How much longer do I
0: have to, get, what, yes. what were you
1: feeling? Yeah. Yeah. I And I had no concept of time. Like, I didn't know what time it was. It just felt like it was taking forever. And like, I don't, you don't know exactly how it's supposed to feel. So you're like, I hope I'm pushing correctly. Uh, (laughs) uh, And they'd want me to like, I don't know, breathe out for 10 seconds or something and or hold my breath for 10 seconds. And I'm like, I can't hold my breath that long. (laughs) So I couldn't follow them. But then I remember at one point they're like, reach down, you can feel his head and I reached down and I could feel his head and I was like, okay, I'm making progress. Like, this is, this is happening. Um, I'm going to be able to do this. Um, So I kept pushing and finally at about 940, at 941, uh, he was delivered. Uh, I guess the cord had been wrapped around his neck once um, and they were able to, to fix that while I was in the process of pushing Um, They did immediate skin-to-skin. I remember them saying to my husband, oh, do you want to cut the cord? And I was like, wait, we want delayed cord clamping. And they're like, we have delayed it. (laughs) Because I had no concept of time. (laughs) (laughs) So he got the cord. Um, And then he was doing some grunting, and they were concerned about his ability to breathe. So they kind of took him to the warmer to try and do some suction And ultimately, it took him to the special care nursery with my husband um, to just monitor that for an hour or two. Um, And I guess while they were at the special care nursery, they did a blood test, and he had low blood sugar. And um, they're like, do you want donor milk or formula? And... My husband was listening because he said donor milk. <laughs> um, and so he chose right. Well, actually, his first was can we take him back to mom to try and be breastfed? Good on husband. Um, and they're like, no, he needs it like immediately because um, of his blood sugar level. So he got some donor milk. And then while they were away, I delivered the placenta. I remember it wasn't coming out right away. And they're like, you need to push. Well, I think it was pretty, um, lackluster, my pushing at that point.
0: Um, Yeah. Well,
1: now, come on, you've been, so
0: the whole thing, your water had broken, not the night before, but the day that the previous night at midnight. So, and now it's 941 PM,
1: you're almost getting to two days. Right. Exactly. (laughs) So, and, and there's, A difference between a placenta and a baby so I wasn't really motivated so they needed I think they did a little bit of traction um, to get it out Um, and ended up with a second-degree tear although I expected the pain from that to be worse than it was and it really didn't bother me that much I mean I was sore from pushing out a baby but not like pain from a wound so that kind of surprised me. So they stitched me up and then they administered the magnesium sulfate bolus at that point, um, after they'd finished stitching me up. And I remember looking over at the nurse who was putting in the IVs all in me. And I looked at her and was like, is this supposed to sting? And she goes, it might sting a little bit. And I was like, it burns like acid in my veins, take it out. And she's like, nope, I can't take it out. And I started bawling. I think that was probably the most painful part of the whole process. And my doula luckily was still there. And she came over and she massaged my feet while I just bawled. Um, I'm sure it was partly because my emotions were obviously very high at that point. But uh, yeah, that Magnesium was nasty. Um, I, looking back, I can see why I needed it, but um, I just remember it being awful. And uh, so finally, they get once the bolus was over. I had just a normal uh, IV of it, and that was more manageable um, at a lower concentration. Um, and then, and they had taken out the catheter. Although I wish I had told them to just leave it in, because they had to pump me for with so many fluids, while well, I got that magnesium sulfate that I had to go to the bathroom every 20 to 30 minutes, all night long. So after being up for two days, I didn't get any good sleep, um, and uh, and I and I told the nurse I was like, I really would love a shower, um, and it was such a production because I'm still coming off of the. Um, nitrous the epidur- or the, the
0: no, yeah yeah oh right yes
1: and so they're <laughs> legs, like so they yeah. got two nurses they had to put like this glove up to my armpits so that i could continue to get the magnesium they had to get a shower chair we finally get all that together into the bathroom we turn on the shower there was no hot water in the shower oh. <laughs> it, it would it wouldn't work at all so i did not get a shower <laughs> after all um I'm so sorry you were denied your shower. (laughs) I know. It's like all you you want when you're feeling so gross. Um, And so, and I remember them being like, okay, you need to call the nurse every time you have to go to the bathroom. Um, And, like, I think after the fourth or fifth time, I was like, I'm not calling the nurse anymore. I would just go myself. Um, Because, like I said, I had really good control under, excuse me, of my lower half. Um, Mm. So that was awesome um when
0: did baby come back when did you were able to join baby
1: um so he came back i want to say like an hour or two after um after he was delivered um with my hubby and i you know looking back like i said i wish i had had the catheter because just left in i don't even know if that was a possibility but i think i would have Held him more, but the, the production of getting him in and out of the bassinet and going to the bathroom every few minutes was not the greatest. Um, so I think, you know, he stayed wrapped up sleeping in the bassinet more mm-hmm. than I probably would have liked. Um,
0: and they tend to take out the catheter right as the head, like babies being born, so they give you the most space and. Yeah, I could see that. Yeah.
1: yeah. It, it kind of yeah, needs sense. to make sense for it to come out. Yeah, I could see that. Or I was wondering too, like, during the getting stitched up, if you know that would probably would get in the way a little bit, but mm-hmm. anyways, um, so yeah, then he came back and it took us another like t- almost 24 hours from when he was delivered to actually get into a postpartum room because off the hospital was so full, so we didn't get a shot, neither of me nor my husband got a shower for like 24 hours. Um, 24 hours
0: after he was born. After he was born, yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, um, well, and, you know, good microbiome.
1: Right. Exactly, exactly. So, um, and you know, he was, after that, he was really healthy. They kept doing um, blood sugar checks on him after that. Um, How big was like, he? He was 6 pounds 8 ounces and 20 inches long. Okay. Um, and... One thing I learned that I would do differently next time. So right as we were about to leave on the second day, they did another blood sugar test and he, his blood sugar was low. Um, And so they're like, well, we can't do, you know, let you go yet. You're going to have to stay until after the next feeding. Um, And so for that next, like two, two to three hours, I just had a, I kept him skin to skin that whole time on my chest and um, after his feeding they did the, the test and it was the highest it had been since he'd come out. Um, so I would definitely advocate for that skin to skin because I think that really helps him, you know, probably preserve his calories and and his energy to not have to, to do all those extra things.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so breastfeeding after that first donor milk things you were able to breastfeed him and everything went well
1: well not quite um it took probably so I would try and nurse him and then I would pump and I don't even think I started getting any colostrum for at least 24 hours and and like I remember them teaching my husband how to like get the little tiny droplets of colostrum out of the pump to like feed him. And he was being fed through an SMS tube um, at the time. And like every milliliter, we were like so excited to tell the lactation consultants. Um, I don't think my milk really came in for at least three days. Um, we saw a lactation consultant um, the following week. And he wasn't gaining as much as they had hoped. Um, And so they sent me back home with lactation tea and an herb and telling me to keep pumping. Um, And they, like, set a goal for how much they wanted him to gain between the Monday we went in and the Thursday when they had, um, like, a lactation group, a free lactation group group at the hospital and I remember I went to that uh, lactation group on that Thursday, and he actually surpassed what the goal they had set. And I, again, just cried. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know why I'm crying. And um, there, the woman was totally understanding, and she was like, you know, it it took a, a while for you to get here, and obviously I had those concerns, but um, I'm really proud. Where he was exclusively breastfed for a year, and and we still. Um, nurse in the morning and at night, and, and so we overcame the, that initial difficulty, and he had a shallow latch, and I had flat nipples and um, <laughs> all of that, but uh, but we overcame it. And it's a testament to, you know, shallow latch,
0: flat nipples, epidural, and magnesium sulfate, which pumped you with tons of fluids, would make which make things more difficult. Like, you did have some obstacles. (laughs) 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 Mildly saying that. Um, And, and you still you figured out, and he figured it
1: out. So good for you guys. Yeah, and it's been the most amazing relationship. You know, I think, I'm just grateful that we were able to overcome all that.
0: Mm. And not to say that if it's different for everybody. So I'm not poo-pooing on people who can't because i i didn't right yeah i i we couldn't get over the lip tie and the thing and you know it was i exclusively pumped not exclusively not not exclusively i had to supplement somewhere but plump for six months and then that's when i was like okay that's it i'm done kudos to you (laughs) yeah because she wouldn't she wouldn't take a bottle so everybody's got their own journey but i will recognize that the obstacles you had and overcame them
1: I would highly recommend. They make these little like um, adhesive wound care sort of uh, nipple healing magic devices. <laughs> um, I'm not sure I'm allowed to say brand names or anything. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah uh, go for it. There's like a it's like a middala, um uh, nipple adhesive pad, and it's it's for wound. They, I guess they use them in the army. Um, it's like w- wet wound healing. Yes. And they work magic on um, sore, cracked nipples. I I mean, I remember my husband looking at me that first week and being let, like the way I would cringe when he was latching. And um, my husband was like, are you okay? I'm like, I will be. <laughs> um, but that did wonders. And you can like wear them for 24 hours. And you just keep reapplying them after each uh, breastfeeding. Um, and I even ended up using them again a the second time a couple months later when I was starting to get nipple pain and they were awesome.
0: I'm going to look for those and link them in the show notes. Perfect. I had not heard about these. Oh, I love, love every new thing that, that is, provides so much comfort.
1: Yes. I think they're called like hydrogel or something. So, that makes sense. Yeah. 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 Um, I use
0: some more. Th- we have something similar just for burns around the house and i know they work they're miraculous how good they hydrate and yeah so that sounds fantastic so tara how how was and i know we're like over time and it doesn't (laughs) matter (laughs) so we'll just keep going because why not um for a little bit how was so okay you've done all this you said one of the things you would do differently would be do more skin to skin. Is there anything else that was really surprising to you that you would do differently that, you know, positive or negative?
1: You know, I, so ultimately I, so I guess I, I forgot to get back to my, uh, that little card game we played with my doula. Um, I remember at one point my husband and I joked, we looked at our whiteboard and we're like, well, I guess we can cross out about half of that stuff. Uh, you know, water birth, non-medicated, no Pitocin, working with a mid, like we could cross half the things out that I had wanted. But he's like, you know, after it was all said and done, we looked at it and he's like, you know, Tara, we got those things that we put down that we wanted at the very beginning. Um, You know, those like last five to 10 things that we wanted that immediate skin to skin, that he was able to be present, that I was able to have a vaginal birth, um, that I was able to breastfeed. A lot of those things that I had wanted, I still got. And so that was a really powerful experience for me to, to have that realization that, no, I didn't get every little thing I wanted. No, I didn't get that, you know, cool story about the water birth or, or whatever. Um, but I got a lot of what was ultimately the most important to me Um, and obviously the very most important healthy mom, healthy baby. Um, The only thing I would do differently. I wish I had remembered to tell my doula or my husband that I wanted pictures during labor and during delivery. Um, So that's one thing I'll be doing differently next time is to, to make sure somebody is on hand with a camera um, to capture those moments, especially Um, Given some of my amnesia from the event, um, I would want that to be captured. Mm. And
0: any last parting words for listeners out there, whether it's a recommendation or, you know, in terms of approaching labor, approaching birth, how it transformed you, anything?
1: Um. Listen to this podcast. <laughs> Honestly, this podcast I think taught me so much about birth and the options that are available out there and um and I and I do remember the that you know you did have a previous episode on help as well with another mom. And so I think I learned more from the work you have done with experts and other moms um, than just about anything else. Mm, and you're going to make me cry. That's so <laughs> amazing. It's like,
0: yay. I'm, I'm so glad. And, and actually, it makes, me, I'm, uh, it makes me feel really glad that you listened to the help episode before you were diagnosed with it, because that also informed, like, you realize how serious that diagnosis was. And also that you were still within the care of your providers and being an active participant. And like you were all working together, but it wasn't like you were set on denying things. You were just making sure, seeing what leeways and options you had is what it seems to me.
1: Right. And, you know, I think you're right about the working collaborative collaboratively with the staff I remember afterwards I had a postpartum appointment with my midwife and kind of was telling her about my experience and was like yeah that OB recommended a c-section eight times and she's like she's actually one of the most progressive OBs on the floor and most pro midwife and least interventions so you were probably actually very fortunate that that's the OB you had that day uh, working with you Um, because she was willing to and she goes honestly afterwards she came up to me the next day or next time she saw me and she's like tara got that vaginal birth um and she was genuinely happy for you and excited for you um so that that was a really good feeling
0: Mm. and yeah i mean we know the system is is not perfect (laughs) sometimes far (laughs) from it (laughs) but we do need to remember that the people that work in it are, are caring people that have hearts and they got there for a reason, you know, they're, they're doing this for a reason. So even though sometimes they're like painted in a corner and sometimes they're not, sometimes they're just really like, I just want to go get my, I'm, I'm late for dinner, which is <laughs> right. hopefully not the, not the OBU anybody ends up with. Right. Um, but, but, I am really thrilled that like your midwife said that you ended up with this OB that was willing to create that space and, and walk the walk with you to try as much as possible, give you your your wishes and and ultimately you guys were able to do it in a obviously super healthy way for everybody, in a safe way for everybody. Exactly. Exactly. Mm. Yay. Thank you so, so <laughs> much. Yeah. No. Yes. Because usually people who come to, to tell the stories, you know, they tend to be, uh, every story is different. But I like hearing also stories that had struggles and still were beautiful experiences. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. I I know people sometimes have some birth trauma and things didn't go the way they wanted. But Honestly, I don't think I would have done anything different. Mm. Well, enjoy your baby. Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you. It's a dream come true that I got to be on
0: here. (laughs) It's been lovely having you here and listening to your story. Thanks again. Thank you. Mighty Ones, check out the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can learn more about me, the show, Patreon member benefits, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me Wednesday when I'll be talking to a new maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthfall Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening.